0: Father, thank you so much for being our wonderful counselor and how you have spoken the truth and love to us like no one else has ever had or no one can, and yet we have been called as your image bearers in Christ to incarnate that reality of speaking your truth in love and to do it in, on behalf of you. And what a joy it is for us to be able to do that. So we ask, Lord, that as we close this out and consider how we can do this well, uh, that you would be with us and that you would lead us by your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, if you have been following along in the book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hand by Paul David Tripp, you will realize that this is the last session of this biblical counseling series. And yet, there are two more chapters in the book. So that's just the nature of how many chapters there were. and uh, we took a week off of this course seminar because I was think I was sick or someone was in the hospital. I can't remember. Uh, so do I, I do, again, as I have been, I highly recommend that you get that book and you read through it. Very, very helpful. Um, today, we're going to be focusing continuing to focus on this third aspect of personal ministry that Paul David Tripp, has been outlining for us. The first one being love, the second one being no, and the third one being speak, right? So last week we talked about the goals of speaking the truth in love, and this week we're going to be covering the process of speaking the truth in love, the process of speaking the truth in love. So let's let's think through this real quick. If you go into a conversation with somebody that is meant to confront them about their sin, but you go in there with your own agenda, what's gonna happen if you go in with your own agenda? What'll happen if if you wanna confront somebody, but you're going into that conversation with your own agenda, what's gonna happen? Yeah, so, we talked last week about how a confrontation is biblical, confrontation is necessary, but if you go into those conversations with your own agenda, what what's, what's going to happen probably. Yeah, Hannah. Mm-hmm. right on so right on. so Hannah pointed out a couple things you're going in there with a pride because you're the one who's going in there to, or rather they haven't lived up to your expectations and your agenda and so you're gonna um, you're going to be disappointed by that uh, and then also the aspect of um, it's not probably not going to be biblical like you're maybe trying to change somebody's behavior but you're not doing it for God or for his glory or to, to bring someone back into into rights, uh, peace with him and with you. So that's a good point. So we've got to be careful that when we go speak the truth and love to someone that we're not doing it with our own agenda. Sometimes that might mean, by the way, pausing while you're angry. Let me come back to this. Let me give a chance to calm down because I don't want to say anything out of anger, right? Instead, we should be confronting people as ambassadors of God. We should be going to them as God's representative as we are displaying what his truth is from his word. And it also starts with the impact of how you live with people on a day-to-day basis. Uh, I don't think it's necessary for you to have a close relationship with somebody, but it certainly helps when they know that you're not just the guy or gal who goes around confronting and correcting everything, but is instead a loving brother or sister in Christ. That can go a long way. And instead, what we should do when we're going into these difficult conversations is asking ourselves, what would please God in this situation? What would please God in this circumstance? Rather than, uh, what would please me, right? Or how can I set this person straight? We should be asking, what should please God? And this brings us to our main header, which is understanding the steps of the confrontation process. Understanding the steps of the confrontation process in your handout. And he, he outlines four, one, two, three, four. Yeah, he outlines essentially four, five, I suppose, five different steps of the confrontation process. And the first one is consideration, consideration. What we're looking for here when you're talking to somebody is what is this person not seeing and how can we help somebody see that? That's what we're asking. What is this person not seeing? Our our job as as counselors or simply brothers and sisters in Christ, is to help people to see themselves. Help to hold up the mirror of the word of God to them and help them see themselves in that. Um, and the re- the, one of the reasons for this is that, that people tend to focus on everything but themselves in a problem, right? So if they're going through a difficult time, it, they really very rarely are focusing on their heart. They're focusing on the other person, what they did, and the circumstances they're in, their past, rather than trying to see what's going on in their own hearts. It's not just seeing, but we also try to help them see with biblical eyes, right? So, um, Tripp gives an example in this book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands of, um, a mother seeing a cluttered room and just angrily saying, what have I said about organizing your room, right? So now the mother's going in with her own agenda. She wants a clean house. When what she could be doing is addressing her daughter's heart, which is to say that if your room is cluttered, that is that is coming out of something that's going on in your heart, a carelessness for the things that God has given to you, uh, a disrespect for your parents or that kind of thing, right? So uh, there there is an aspect of trying to help people see from biblical eyes themselves and what the circumstances is. So the challenge for us is to forsake our agendas, to not go into these conversations with what what we want, but instead to take up the Lord's agenda, to seek what the Lord wants out of this situation and going in with that instead. And one of our goals, or rather the goal of this kind of conversation is godly change. That's what we want. We don't want just behavior modification. We want to help them change for the better. We want them to be like the Lord. And so we can ask five questions for the pers- to the person to help them consider the situation. Five different questions, and you write these down as we go along, to help them consider their situation. The first one is asking them, what was going on? That's just basically, tell me the circumstance. What is it that happened in that situation? The second question is, what were you thinking and feeling as it was going on? What were you thinking and feeling as it was going on? So again, the first question, what was going on? Second question, what were you thinking and feeling as it was going on? Why do you think it's important for you to uncover what the person was thinking or feeling in their circumstance instead of just the circumstance itself? Yeah, Hannah. Good. Yeah. So it'll help uncover their motives. Yeah. What would you add to that? Yeah, why is it important to uncover what they're thinking and feeling and help them to also discover that? Yeah. Um, They might say out of their own mouth, um, reveal their own foolishness throughout their own mouth, and you don't need to tell them. They said it themselves. Yeah, so yeah, it kind of helps them to self-discover, essentially, what you're saying, whatever uh, foolish thoughts or attitudes that they had without you needing to tell them. You're helping them to self-discover as the Spirit leads them as well. So you want to ask them again, what were you thinking and feeling as it was going on? The third question is, what did you do in response? What did you do in response? Uh, Why is that important for you and them to kind of consider what they did to the circumstance, what they did in response to the circumstance? Why is it important to... Not just figure out what they were thinking or feeling, but also what they did in response. Yeah? see how they think Yeah. It tells you whether they on their or if they to Good, yeah. So it helps you to, to see how they acted on what they thought or believed or felt, right? All of our behavior is shaped by our response. Uh, We think something or we feel a certain way and therefore we do something or we say something. And again, it helps you to uncover maybe potentially what is an idol in somebody's heart. Um, A lot of times people can tend to blame shift if they don't tie their behaviors to their own thoughts and feelings, right? So let's let's put this to life a little bit. Um, What was going on? Let's say that... Uh, a husband and wife got into a fight, right? Um, and let's say that it was uh, the wife that started the fight. And she said something like, you make me do all the work around here. Uh, I can't believe that. And the, what were you thinking and feeling? I was, I was angry. And I was thinking, uh, don't you know how hard I work for this family? I just want some peace and quiet when I get home. That was his thoughts and feelings. What did he do in response? He just sh- shut down and didn't talk to her, and, uh, and that made her even more mad, right? What are some of the things that this, that this man can blame instead of his own heart? In that circumstance, what, that, what might that man blame or who might that man blame instead of his own heart? Mm-hmm. So yeah, Lori brought up you could blame his wife because she's the one coming in with a bad attitude. He's, the one, he's not the one who started it, right? Uh, and he can, might blame God by saying, this is, this is the wife you gave me, right? Uh, pretty much what Adam said when he wanted to blame shift for his actions in the garden. He might blame mm, a long day at work. I mean, that's why my fuse was just so short because I just had such a long day at work, right? So our tendency, people's tendency is to not look at ourselves in a circumstance and what we contribute to a situation, but to blame everything and everybody else but us. You remember that story about that lady who brought her husband in for counseling because she thought you need to help him. You got to help this guy, right? Uh, And it happens. It happens. So part of the reason that we need to do this is because there are such things as plausible lies that he talks about in the book plausible lies that we have a tendency to want to believe right so what was the plausible lie for example, in the garden in Genesis three yeah. Really yeah did God really say that what was what was ser- the serpent trying to um t- imply about god in his question yeah yeah either they misheard yeah or god's a liar he actually starts to cast doubt on god's character by saying something like hey the only reason he doesn't want you to eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil is because if you do it you're going to be like him he's like jealous about that so he's he's now again she believes it in her actions because it's plausible. It's not true, but it's plausible, right? And so we have a tendency also to to believe plausible lies about our situation. What are some examples of some plausible lies that this man who got in a fight with his wife and he stopped talking, what are some examples of plausible lies he might believe? That she doesn't appreciate him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she doesn't appreciate me, good. What are some other ones? Hannah, she doesn't care about him, right? Where's some other ones? What about like, I deserve blank. I deserve some peace and quiet after a 10-hour shift, right? Mm-hmm. She needs to make things right first. Ooh. I go to her Sh- yeah, she needs to make things right. Why should I go and make peace? She's the one who started the fight. I stopped talking. I did the right thing by shutting that conversation down. That's another plausible lie, right? Like I I just decided to stop engaging her because that was the most peaceable thing I could do. Yeah. I deserve better. Mm. I deserve better, good. So yeah, that's the reason, part of the reason why we wanna help them consider this is because there are plausible lies. There are things that even Christians are, are liable to believe that ultimately we know aren't true, but especially when emotions are high, will tend to believe these lies instead of looking at the word of God. So our, our, our goal is to help people see that their behavior, what they do, how they respond, reveals more about their own hearts about, rather than their circumstances. Because again, the temptation is to think that most of the change, it needs to happen outside of us, right? My wife needs to change, right? She needs to, she needs to realize that I, I need peace. I need quiet. I need need me time. I need recharge time. So that's the temptation. Everything that needs to change is not us. It's everybody else. So the question so far, what was going on? What were you thinking and feeling as as it was going on? What did you do in response? And fourth, why did you do it? Why is it helpful to help somebody consider why they did it? Yeah, Laurie said, if you really want to kill sin, you can't just stop behaviors. You've got to try to figure out what's in the root. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, for example, just as let's speculate because we haven't actually asked this guy any questions. What are some things that is in this guy's heart that uh, made him kind of get angry and shut down at his wife? Mm-hmm. Mm hmm. And an idol of comfort. Like He just he doesn't want to deal with this. So he, it's uncomfortable to have this conversation. So he's just going to shut down. Yeah. Yeah. Himself. Right. He's she is hurting his pride. Um, yeah. She has done wrong. Let's not ignore that. But in doing wrong against him, she has challenged his pride um, potentially. Good. What else? What are some other idols, motivators that would cause him to sin back at his wife by giving him giving her the silent treatment. Maybe we covered it all, okay? But the the idea that we're we're kind of tying back into what we've talked about in past weeks is that the heart is always serving something. The heart is either serving the Lord or it's serving oneself. It's serving the idol of comfort or the idol of pride and self-respect and self-worth. And that's really the only reason that we sin is when we decide in any moment to serve something other than God. And our behavior reveals the idols in our heart. So that's why we're asking them to tell us or rather self-reflect on how they responded and why they responded that way. And we're trying to help them to see that there's something in their heart that is more important to them than God. And that's why they're reacting the way that they do. A lot of struggles that Christians go through are really just struggles of worship. Who am I going to worship in this moment? Am I going to worship God or I'm going to worship myself, my desires, my comforts, a perfect home, uh, kids that um, will actually mean my pride and joy rather than disappointing to me, right? These are things that people can genuinely worship instead of God. And also what we're looking for here is lasting good versus temporary results. So if we don't help people uncover what it is that they're worshiping besides God, then, then you're, you may get some temporary change that is positive. Um, you know, for example, let's say, all right, uh, guy, his name's Guy. All right, Guy, um, the next time that your wife acts out like that, I want you to ask her a set of questions. How does that make you feel? So he does that the next time, but he's still like seething in his heart he's still hurt uh, and his pride is hurt by the situation. And so you've changed the behavior and you've maybe made a more peaceable household, but you haven't addressed what's going on in Guy's heart, right? And that's that's ultimately what we're trying to do is try to help people not just change their outward behavior. We're trying to help them to love God and love people more. You think about uh, what Jesus talks about. What does he talk about in that? analogy of like the cup. Do you mem- remember that? He's talking to the Pharisees and he compares them to a cup or a bowl, okay. a, c- a container of some sort. Yeah. Um, you don't wash the outside of the dish only you wash the inside and then the outside. Yeah. Yeah, so Jesus is is pointing out the the silliness, the hypocrisy of let's say you just uh, Let's say uh, after Christmas dinner, you're like, ugh, I'm so tired. I'm only going to wash the outsides of these bowls, right? It's a great illustration because it's silly. You wouldn't use that dirty bowl because you recognize that while the outside's clean, the inside is still dirty. And so when we're counseling people, it's not just about trying to help them clean up their image. It's trying to help them get to the inside of the bowl and clean it. So we're asking them again, or rather having them consider five things. What was going on? What were you thinking and feeling as it was going on? What did you do in response? Why did you do it? And five, what was the result? What was the result? What was the result, Guy? Um, She just kept shouting at me more, and then I just kept ignoring her, and then I ended up sleeping on the couch. Okay. Why do you think it's helpful for him to reflect and consider the results of what he did? Mm hmm Right on. Yeah. So you're asking as a, you got to see what is desired outcome? Was your desired outcome to still be in a fight with your wife today and to sleep on the couch that night? No. So what you're helping people do is you're helping them reflect on their harvest. What is it that you're the seeds that you planted, what did it produce? And are you satisfied with that? Because for the Christian, I mean, we know that sin ultimately just produces, um, Was it? more sin, right? It, it, it's never good. It's like when you sin, it's not like, ah, it was worth it, right? I, I'm glad I did that because the results were great, right? You, you recognize that sin just bears more terrible consequences. So that's a helpful thing for people to consider in their circumstances. Okay, well, what happened? What was the result of what you did? Uh, so you recognize here that acquiring personal insights is a process. It's not like you have to sit there and ask them these questions, but these are categories in your mind that you're trying to help people uncover with the very good questions that you're asking. And um, just to clarify again, if you're just joining us for the first time, this is helpful for biblical counseling. If someone's coming to you and you say, all right, let's meet on this once a week, um, but it's also helpful for just everyday interactions with your brothers and sisters in Christ. It may be tempting, the man might be saying, yeah, um, we're not talking and we're really in a big fight right now. And it may be tempting for you to just say, Oh, I'll pray for you. Right? Well good. You should pray for them. But you should also try to do what you can to help him. To help him in that circumstance. But it's also good for your own self in your everyday life. Amen. Yeah. Sheila said it's also good for your own self and everyday life. Can you talk more on that? Well, I mean you have to apply it to yourself. Mm-hmm. yep Good, yeah, Sheila's pointing out that if we need to look at these questions ourselves in our circumstances, um, in fact when you when you read through this book, if you, re- if you read through this book, like I read through it with the purpose of I'm in a biblical counseling class, and I need to read this book to be a good biblical counselor, but it just convicted me left and right because it's like ultimately it applies to us as well, so we should be asking these questions as well. Just as a a, a practical piece of advice, Tripp in the book suggests journal form is a good way also to help people process this information. So he had somebody who struggled with anger like a ton, and anytime he tried to address it face-to-face, it really wasn't fruitful because he would just get angry about it. So he said, okay, here's what I want you to do. Throughout the week, whenever you get angry, I want you to journal what happened. Um, I want you to journal... What were you thinking and feeling? What did you do in response? Uh, why did you do it? And what was the result? And he said that the next time they met, it was just one week. And he said to Tripp, uh, whoever wrote that journal is a very angry man. Right. So he helped him to uncover through this process uh, what was going on. So that's helpful. Journaling can be really helpful. You can journal these things for yourself and encourage your brothers and sisters to do the same thing but in this step of consider consideration helping people to consider the situation biblically you are incarnating the presence of the messiah in the fact that he gives sight to the blind right so part of our ministry uh, in his name is to help people see biblically their situation the second step is confession 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 can be difficult uh, why is confessing sin why can it be so difficult Let's say in a, in a situation let's let's bring it back to guy right why might it be hard for him to confess his own sin mm-hmm. confessing it to his wife or to God To God Or to you as the counselor hmm? a Yeah Daniel Yeah He's going to have to admit he was wrong we don't like that, especially when we were the wronged party. In this case, he was, the, in a way, the wronged party because she's the one who picked the fight. So he might be tending to say, well, I didn't do anything wrong. I was just minding my own business, eating my meatloaf, right? Yeah, Anita. Um, also, when you don't have, like, the habit of confessing sin, it's hard to know when you are in sin. You can only see other people's sin. Mm, so Anita says, if you don't make it a habit to confess sin, it's hard to even see when you are in sin because you are only seeing everybody else's sin, right? And Jesus has a stern warning against that kind of self-righteous attitude of pointing out people's specks in their eyes when you have a two-by-four hanging off of your face, right? So yeah, confession can be difficult. It can be really tempting to try to take ourselves off the hook. She's the one who started it. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything wrong. I, I I didn't even say anything mean to her. So I, I don't know how you could be saying I did anything wrong, right? You also don't want to assume that people are confessing to the Lord, okay? So you ever um, help, like, confront someone with their sin, and they're just like, mm, okay, mm, all right. And then you just assume that they received what you said and they are confessing their sin to God, when really they might just be doing what? nodding their head, just getting through the conversation. This is uncomfortable for both of us. So let me just hear you out. But, uh, but instead, they're not actually confessing to the Lord their sin. So you want to actually try to help them to do that. Um, you also need to help them to identify anyone who may have been affected by their sin. So in this, guy, in this situation, Guy's situation, and um, his wife's name is Gal, ironically. It's Guy and Gal situation. Who might have been affected by his, his sin? Gal was affected. Who else might have been? Kids. If they have kids, maybe they were at the table and just saw dad completely shut down and, and mom just continued to yell at him. Uh, or maybe they weren't at the table, but there was tension that you could cut with a butter knife throughout the house for that week, right? So yeah, he needs to consider who else may have been affected so that he can confess his sin to them also. He also, Tripp also points out a helpful aspect of we should remember that we have sin in our heart too. Um, A lot of times when you're counseling a friend or helping a friend, they might actually tempt you to sin because of your frustration with their lack of responsiveness to what you're saying. So let's say, especially if you're counseling with someone for over weeks and for week after week, you're showing them the word and they say, yeah, okay, I'll work on that. And then they don't, or they don't say they don't agree with you and they argue with you the whole time you might also be sinning in response to that so you might need to also confess your sin to the person that you're helping but it also helps you to remember that when you're helping someone confess their sin you're not doing it from a moral high ground you're just doing it as a fellow sinner who needs to confess their sins to god so the second step is confession the third step in confrontation is commitment commitment Uh, Please, yes, go ahead. Uh-huh. Because I think that it's, for me personally, it's not hard for me to confess my sins to God. Mm. It's hard for me to confess to especially Marty or other people. Mm. Because I feel as if they're going to use it against me later. hmm Mm. And we're no greater than that. So you have to put yourself in Yeah. and know you are going to get hurt. Yeah. That's the reality. So I think that we should do better with confessing to each other. Great point. So Sheila had said, in case you couldn't hear, is that essentially um, it's, it's easy for her and maybe for you to confess sin to God. It's harder for you to confess sin to someone that you've wronged or even anyone else because they may end up using that against you in some way. Um, in the situation with guy and gal, it could be that he apologizes, but she doesn't. And so maybe there's a, in his mind, well, there's no way I'm going to apologize if she's not going to own up to anything, right? And, and the, the way that you overcome that is, A, recognizing Jesus and what he went through, being betrayed by a friend and being for, um, rejected by his people uh, and yet was faithful to God. And then also remember that when you're confessing sin to someone, it's not so that you can get something back. It's so that you can be faithful to God. If you confess your sin to someone who wronged you and they don't confess their sin to you, that's on them. But your conscience can be clear because you confessed your sin. You you confessed your part of the situation. But oftentimes what does happen when you you confess to your part? What often happens? Hmm? They do too. They do too. Not always, not always, but this often that can be what moves reconciliation forward is you being humble enough to say, yeah, you know, I shouldn't have responded in that way. I don't agree with how you were speaking to me, but I, did, I also don't agree with how I responded. So I want to apologize for that, okay? So confession. The next one is commitment. Um, what you're trying to do is help them not just put off their sin, but to put on Christ likeness to help them consider instead of my idol of comfort and pride and self-respect and being respected, what should rule one's heart instead? So let's think about guy's situation instead of what was ruling his heart. What are some biblical desires that he should have had instead? Yeah, John Uh, to to serve, right? To serve his wife. What else? What are some other biblical desires? Mm -hmm. To sacrifice, good. What's one more? To To love his wife, good. Another biblical desire would be for her to be right with God as well. Not to say that she's not saved, but the way that she is responding and acting is contrary to the way that God would have her respond. And so a loving husband would say, I need to help her not do that. And not just do it for myself, but for her and for the Lord. Yeah. Well, I think that's when motivation comes into play. Mm -hmm. What is your motivation for confessing? Is your motivation um, to confess, to reconcile, so things are just peaceful? Or are you really trying to um, get that person to reconcile back to Christ? If you sin and they also sin? Amen. So, yeah, Lori's question, it goes back to your motive. Are you confessing your sin? Uh, just to make peace in the household and make reconciliation between you two, but are you also trying to help them, help her reconcile to God? And Because she sinned, you sinned, you both sinned. Let's reconcile together and with the Lord. Good. Yeah. So you're trying to help people to see what they should be feeling, what they should be thinking and doing instead. Uh, what steps of restitution you should make because of what you did. Um, what habits... You should be developing in light of what you've uncovered about your idols going forward so confession commitment what was the first one consideration and then change change so you don't want to assume that just because somebody has committed to another biblical desire that change has taken place or that they have any intention of actually changing their behavior we talked about we don't want bibl- behavior modification but what we really should say is we don't only want behavior modification. We also do want them to change how they respond in the future, right? So we don't want to assume that just because they've committed to, yeah, you're right, I need to serve my wife, that they're actually have an idea of what that actually looks like, right? So personal insight and commitment into their situation. So let's say for, let's break that down a little bit. You've helped him uncover, you've helped guy uncover, yeah, I have a pride I'm prideful and um, I was really hurt because I wasn't re- being respected by my wife or acknowledged for all my hard work and I shouldn't have let that happen. And I'm gonna commit going forward to loving and serving my wife, okay? That's, that's good. But you don't wanna assume that he, he's gonna know what exactly to do with that going forward or that he is actually doing that going forward. So change is different from just having commitment. You actually need to change their behavior. You need to help them see the what not just the how and also you need to help them see the how not just the what you need to help them to see how those commitments that he's made to love and serve his wife and to forsake his own pride what is that going to look like on a daily basis right so that's change you want to help them to commit change and then there's a little piece in the chapter about how to confront biblically how to confront biblically uh, it's not just about biblical goals. So if our biblical goal, let's review that actually. What are our biblical goals for reconciliation, or, I'm sorry, for confrontation? What are we trying to accomplish with biblical confrontation? Emmy? Go into it thinking what would please God in this situation. Good. Um, what would please God going into it that way? Um, let's think more endgame. Uh, what's what's a goal for the end of the situation oh. reconciliation reconciliation good what else unity in, unity in christ good holiness godliness like these are these are the end goals and yet we want to make sure that we don't just have biblical goals but we also have biblical methods what might be some unbiblical methods of going in trying to reconcile and help someone get holier what might be unbiblical in how you do it Very good. Yeah. Uh, Exploiting shame to change behavior. Can you get somebody to change their behavior just by shaming them? Yeah. 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 A lot of people change their behavior because they're ashamed of what they did, but that's not what we're going for. That's not the biblical method. And it's actually not the right result. The result would be like a pharisaical type of obedience that isn't out of love, right? Good. Uh, What's another unbiblical method to try to get to a biblical goal? Yeah, Janae. Yeah, being harsh, accusing them of things that they maybe didn't say. Um, yeah, absolutely. We talked about, we mentioned last week about that, that brother, another church member, he impregnated his girlfriend, and, and some of the young guys in church thought, take it up upon themselves and give him a, you got to man up type of moment. And that just pushed them even further away, rather than helping them to confront biblically what's going on. Right. So kind of the same thing. They wanted the end result of him being faithful and stick around, but they went about it the wrong way. So we need to speak the truth. That's the content. And a lot of people, there's some people who love speaking truth, but without love loves the method loves the method. So speaking the truth is the content doing it in love is the method. Um, Trip points out helpfully that truth that's not spoken in love ceases to be truth. And love that's not guided by truth ceases to be love. So you need both. You need to speak the truth and you need to do it in love. Um, Remember, Satan is a good example of this. He was speaking half truths. Well, they were true, right? He was quoting scripture, tempting Jesus, uh, except for the, I'll give you everything. But the whole, like, if you jump off, doesn't doesn't the Psalm say that you're not going to get hurt, right? So it's technically true, but he was not doing it in love. He was trying to tempt him to test his father. And so, again, truth not spoken in love ceases to be truth. Our goal should be to stand alongside the person. Confrontation has a connotation of head-to-head, right? But what you're trying to do when you're confronting somebody is to come alongside them and, and to help them to see the way that they are acting against God. Help to love them to do that. We talk about I talk about this a lot when I'm counseling people who are in um, in confrontations, whether it's spouses or or otherwise. If you're both Christians, you're on the same side. It's not it's not guy versus gal. It's guy and gal versus sin. Guy and gal versus Satan, right? And that's helpful that when you're confronting someone, especially a Christian that you're coming alongside them to help them. Even if you're confronting an unbeliever, your goal is to try to help them, not destroy them, right? So we need to stand alongside the people that we're trying to help. Um, There's also some helpful ways to try to help people see things. Uh, He points out, for example, kind of indirect ways in the Bible that people are shown the truth. So parables, for example, Christ's parables, were confronting people but he was it was a it was a process of helping people through a story for example to see the wickedness that they had or to see the the lack of holiness that they had so what we see is there would be a parable that would help people see just like when we we read parables that leads to confession that leads to change so for example when the lawyer who challenges jesus and says well who's my neighbor what parable does he tell when uh, when the lawyer asks, "Well, who's my neighbor?" Do you remember Good the Good Samaritan? He doesn't say he doesn't just directly say everyone's your neighbor. He takes time to go through this story and help him to realize. Uh, or I don't know if he actually did, but we read it and we realize, wow, we don't love our neighbor nearly as well as we think we do, right? If that Samaritan can love this Israelite, how much more should we be able to love? anyone who is technically supposed to be hateable. So parable, sight, confession, change. Nathan and David give a very great example of this as well. So David has committed a grievous sin. This is King David. He has uh, taken advantage of a woman and got her pregnant, and, and then she's married. So to cover it up, he tries to orchestrate things so that the husband lies with her, uh, and so th- he thinks it's his kid, not David's kid. That all that all doesn't work out because Uriah, the husband, says, "How could I do that? Like, all of the men over there, are, you know, how could I, how could I do that?" And so instead, what David plots to do is to have Uriah be put to the front lines, and he tells the commander, "Everyone else, back off from him." so that he gets killed by the enemy. Okay. So he has now committed murder conspiracy to commit murder, uh, by basically hiring his commander to be a hitman. Right. Uh, so that's a sin and that is a grievous set of sins. And Nathan goes in to confront him and that's difficult. This is the king. This isn't just like his buddy. This is the king. And so how is it that, that Nathan helps David to see what he had done? Yeah, he tells him this parable. There's this, there's this poor man. He has this lamb, and he loves the lamb like a daughter. And the rich man uh, is throwing a party. And he has his own lamb, so he can take. But instead, he takes the poor man's lamb, and he has it killed for his party. And then, and then he asks David, what does he ask him? Hey Dave, hey, Dave, King, David, what do you think should be done to this guy, right? And then David what does David respond? That guy <laughs> used to get tortured and killed, right? Yeah. I also think it should be mentioned in that of David was a shepherd. That that was a big deal and that he wasn't always king. So I think that uh terrible death notably hit home almost more. Very good. So uh Nathan wisely approaches the situation um by giving a shepherding analogy because that's what David was before he was King. And he knows what it's like to love his lambs and sheep and protect them and lay down his life for them rather than the other way around. Right? So that was very keen of Nathan to do that. So he's, he's doing this and he's wisely explaining to David, helping David consider what he had done by giving them this very relatable parable. And what he does is that he leads David to confront himself. He leads David to confront himself. What was David's response when Nathan said to him, you were the man. What was David's response? Repentance. He was broken, right? And sometimes I think, too, we have this attitude uh, that people aren't going to repent, so why even deal with it? Or have you ever, like, accused someone? It's like, you're only only feeling bad because you got caught. Uh, Don't assume that someone... Is only feeling bad because they got caught there's an example of where somebody was caught but he's it's genuine repentance he it just he was hardened and he was hiding the reality of the situation to himself but then when it was exposed he was genuinely repentant so again don't assume that oh you're only you're only feeling bad because you got caught are you going to say something no okay yeah so david confronts himself he leads david to confession it's not just he feels bad and just leaves him alone. David confesses his sin, and he assures him of a couple things. He assures him that God has forgiven him, but he's also warned him of the consequences of the sin. Right? That's the reality. Sometimes our sins have consequences. So we do want to assure people of God's forgiveness, but also we got to help them realize that there's still consequences to sin. Christ also has interactive confrontations. He, he goes through conversations. He labors with people to try to get them to repentance, try to get them to the point of what he's saying. And again, that's what we should be trying to do as well. We might think that oh, we want to just go in there, just drop a truth bomb and walk out. But instead, we should patiently labor to try to help people to see themselves in light of the scriptures. You want to invite that person who's being confronted to talk, Right? What is, what's the risk of just being like, I don't, I'm just gonna say my piece and then I'm out. Like, what's the risk of doing that? Could it be just in one ear out the other, John? They don't understand what you're saying. They don't actually understand what you're saying, good. Yeah, so you wanna try to help them in conversation in this confrontation. You want to try to help them process and peel back layers. They may have objections to what you're saying that you know you could actually overcome with a word, right? So again, invite them to talk. The last part, the last step is summary. Um, You want to confirm that everything was understood. Why is that step important? To make sure that everything was understood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If it wasn't understood or not understood correctly, you're just going to be right back to square one. Good. You also want to confirm in this summary that there was some sort of commitment to change. Uh, why is that important? That before you close out a confrontation, that that there's some sort of commitment to change. Right. Without a commitment to change, you just had a conversation. You don't know if they agree with you. They don't, you don't know if they are wanting to walk in more faithfulness. Right on. So, yeah, you want to m- confirm that there's a commitment. Uh, there are some times where you maybe do just want. Okay, I'll, I'll put it this way. Not just want, but all you can do is declare the truth to somebody. That it's not interactive. All you can do is just declare the truth. What circumstance do you think that would be? could be um becky said an unbeliever but i think you could reason a bit like jesus does even with unbelievers and interact with them good other thoughts when might you just need to just tell them instead of help them to uncover it and self-discover and self-confront imminent danger okay good good yeah so i mean if their sin is um they as an example, let's say they're about to abort their, their child. You don't have time to sit there unless they're willing to come talk to you. So sometimes all those people can do is, in love, just proclaim to them, please don't do this. You're going to be killing an image bearer of the Lord. God's wrath is going to be on you if you do this. Like, that's all you can do, right? Julian, what were you going to say? Yeah, imminent danger. Sure. Yeah, or imminent danger, or if they're just the person is in front of you is not willing to engage with you. They're just recalcitrant. Um, It means hardened, right? So I'll give you an example. Somebody had, oh, oh, let's go with you first. Okay, so the example is um, last year, there was a young man who came to the door barefoot and I let him in, and he just walked in. And it was very weird because it didn't seem like he was high or anything. It seemed, he seemed to be very in control and cohesive. But he came in, and he claimed that he was the second coming of Jesus. Okay? Um, and he was, like, acting, like, very calm, very peaceable. And I started to lovingly confront him with different passages. Like, what do you do with the, what the Bible says that when the Lord returns— everyone's going to know it, right? Uh, And that, because he also gave me his name, I can't remember his name, but the fact that he has a different name besides the Savior, so what do you do with the passages that say that he's going to come back exactly as he left? He's not going to come back in someone else as a vessel. So after a while, he just was not listening. So I said, I just need to tell you this and I hope you listen to me. So I just preached the gospel to him. He kept talking over me, but all I could do was just continue to preach the gospel to him. And then I lovingly, guided him out the door because what else could you do like he's not talking to me he's not he's just uh, mumbling these uh, these weird things and he is not listening so all i could do was just declare does that make sense but it should be rare you could i tried first to try to have a conversation with a guy um saying yeah i guess when somebody's like adamant about um living in sin so someone's adamant about living in sin okay Right, yeah. So you've confronted them, you've told them, it's like, yeah, I, I, I know that the Bible says that I can't live with my girlfriend. I know, it's, I know that I cannot be cohabiting with her and doing this, but I love her and we're gonna get married someday, da-da-da. And, there, and I, I, I respect you, but I'm not gonna change. At that point, you just gotta say, well, then all I can do is just warn you, right? The Bible does not have a category for Christians who just live in unrepentant sin, right? Okay, Daniel. Yeah, so Daniel asks, um, what if they're argumentative? So they're 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 willing to engage, but only on their terms. Like they want to just pick a fight with you and keep going. There may be a time to just say, hey, you know what? I I feel like we're just going in circles. So let me just leave you with this and just kind of declare at that point. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah, there's some people, especially when you're evangelizing, they they just like the fight. They like the, the wrestling rather than hearing about the Savior. Yeah. Read the room, read people you're dealing with, mm-hmm. and also keep it in mind that mm-hmm. uh we are very prideful, and our pride very much blocks us from believing the word of God. So that could also be a thing of like, hey, analyze this individual, that'll kind of give you a better idea of whether you should probably be patient and wait for the proper time to speak to them, or or you can actually talk to them that you know they're not going to just be private. Yeah, good. So, uh, Julian says try to understand the person in front of you and that'll help you to determine what approach you should take the end of first Thessalonians talks about how we should admonish the idol we should help the encourage the faint-hearted help the weak so he's giving us an outline of if someone is just like they're they're not obeying God and they don't care you need to warn them that's what admonish means but if someone's like they're they're faint-hearted man I just I feel like I can't do this. Encourage them. Uh, So you need to kind of see what they are. But also the kicker at the end is be patient with them all. Because it doesn't matter what someone's doing. You need to be patient with them because God's patient with you. Julian? Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's give uh, two more thoughts and then I'll close this out. Mr. Pope? says uh take note of that person do not have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed do not regard him as an enemy but warn him as a brother so like this is an example of somebody who at least the way that i read it they're living in unrepentant sin but he's saying to we'll warn them but still consider them a brother. So like at, at what point in that process should I be like, hey you should be aware that you know maybe not brother. Yeah I mean at any point so Michael's question is at what point do you start warning them that they may not even be Christian? I think that if they're displaying a lack of willingness to repent, um, then you need to, that, that's clear right there, right? Um, it's interesting because that's a good point. You said, warn him as a brother. Even the one who is in unrepentant sin, warn him as a brother. Uh, I think that when well, we take Matthew 18, when it says to treat them like an unbeliever, some people like to tack on because they are, but the, the text doesn't say that. We're to treat them as an unbeliever because they're acting like one, but 1 Corinthians 5 gives us a hint that we should be hopeful that they actually are a believer and that they need to go through this suffering in order to be brought back to be saved. So I think we're very quick to declare people unbelievers, but there's a certain point if they're not acting like a believer, they've gone through the entire process of church discipline, what can we do but treat you like you're not one? Does that make sense? Okay, last last thought or question here. who can deliver me from this body of death and then Paul goes on to say that the law of the life spirit of Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of the death and that's the empowerment and the encouragement that they need Remind them that the Holy Spirit is the only one who can change and we, when we admit our weakness and our inability and our, our lack of have, there's no, nothing in me that can possibly we remind them that they have this Holy Spirit who power's that change. Amen. That's such an important reminder and the only way that we get that is that, that that incredible weakness. So that's that's a wonderful place to be. Well said. Praise the Lord. Yeah. So someone's weak just to summarize bring him to the end of Romans 7 and the beginning of Romans 8 which talks about how the the, the spirit who is given to you is the one who will help you to overcome your weakness and your faint-heartedness. Let me just close with just this thought. Remember that what we're trying to do is incarnate Christ's presence and work here on earth so he has given us the spirit to help others to help others to be sanctified and to continue to put their sin to death and to continue to spread his kingdom to the ends of the earth let me pray thank you lord for this series Uh, we're thankful also for the opportunities that you give us to speak the truth and love and we pray that as these opportunities come up that you would help us to apply what we've been learning for this last few months. God, help us to do it in love, not simply out of uh, a desire to be right or any other motivation besides love for you and love for our neighbors. Do this all for your glory, O oh God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. <clears throat>